0: Hi, my name is Lisa Henderson, and I'm your host for Daring Parenting, and we usually talk about topics that affect specifically parents. But today, I'd like to invite everyone, regardless of your age, to listen, because this is a great time of learning. Black Lives Matter has been around for some years. It reached a tipping point recently with the murder of George Floyd and so many white people began to have conversations about race that were difficult and uh, I for one I can say I have really aggravated, annoyed, and uh, isolated some people that I think I may have offended by talking about white privilege. White privilege doesn't mean we were handed everything. What white privilege means is that we don't have to think about our race in any number of ways. I never had to tell my son, if he gets stopped by the police, put your hands on the steering wheel, don't reach for the glove compartment. Never crossed my mind. And every black mother I've talked to has had this conversation with her sons. And, and that's just one. I never had to tell my child, don't go running in a certain neighborhood because you're not going to fit in. They may think that you're a bad person just because of the color of your skin. This is what we're talking about with white privilege. Some people call it uh, unearned privilege. Regardless of how you look at it, It isn't inflammatory. It doesn't need to be. And this is what starts the race conversation. White people, we have got a lot to learn. I've been learning and I'm still learning. And my biggest fear about doing this interview was that I was going to sound like a dumb white person. And I probably did. But my friend that's talking to us today has been very kind and helped me in some of my Facebook posts, like Trying to figure out why do I, how do I answer people that say all lives matter? Because Black lives do matter, not that all lives don't, but why? What's the purpose? What's the reasoning? And how can we keep this conversation going without alienating each other? And I think it's time we sat down and had some of these difficult conversations. It is uncomfortable and it is extremely rewarding and very productive. If you're a white person listening, if you get a chance, pick up a copy of white fragility. Uh, there are plenty of book clubs. I happen to be in one for this particular book where she is a diversity trainer and she tries to explain to white people what the black experience is like. She happens to be a white person. So, uh, she manages to make people angry. But before you start to get your hackles up and think, oh, I'm not that person. I'm not racist. We're not saying you're racist. The idea is for us to become anti-racist. And we're all learning here. And if we have black people who are willing to sit down and talk to us, call a black friend if they're up for it, if they're not in a raw kind of State with all of this because there is a lot of anger, righteous anger and rightful anger coming up. But find somebody like my friend Alicia who's going to talk to us and be willing to ask some of those questions. In the meantime, though, I invite you to listen today. We'll be doing uh, a series of these podcasts on race, and I'm so glad you could join us today. This is my friend Alicia Graves, and she's going to tell us just a little bit about herself.
1: Well, I am Alicia, born in Atlanta, Georgia. Went to school here and and then to college in Texas. Finished at the University of Texas, and from there I have lived in Atlanta and Chicago. Currently, I work with a actually a fine art photographer who has done like protest images. Um, she has something out in 1960 now, and I also help with running an apparel company.
0: And Alicia, as you know, I am very much a supporter of Black Lives Matter, but sometimes I still feel like a dumb white person. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to become educated, and you've been kind enough to help me in responding, like with my Facebook post and also agreeing to do this interview. It's not always an easy thing to find somebody who's willing to sit down and go, okay, here's here's the way it is. So you've always been a straight shooter, and I appreciate that. So in Daring Parenting, we cover a lot of tough topics. We talk about eating disorders and mental illness and drug addiction, but we've never talked about race. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no better time than right now for us to have this conversation. And I will say, I have a grandson who's 10 years old, and my daughter had really never had this conversation with him about race. And his, he'd been with his dad and his grandparents, other grandparents. And when all of this started right after George Floyd was killed, and she sat him down and he, she said, his eyes just got so big. Like he didn't know. So, and she works for a company that makes kids toys. So they're having a lot of discussions and she's making a lot of videos. And I think what we're trying to figure out is not just how do we talk to our children or in my case, grandchildren, but how do we talk to each other? Not only having discussions with our black friends, if we have black friends or black co-workers But also, how do we talk to other white people? As you well know, I've gotten blasted a few times on Facebook for some of the posts that I've made speaking up for Black Lives Matter. So what I'd like to know is, how did you get to be so open and willing to talk about race? Or am I the first person that said, hey, can you help me?
1: (laughs) And maybe, but I also, with, with my position at the church, you know, we have our churches, like 99.8 percent African-American, and our priest is Caucasian. he's white. So I've had these conversations with him as well. And I, I think with those, you have the best intentions, but there are nuances nuances that a person may not be aware of because you have not experienced it before as far as that. So as far as me being open about it, I think I've always been the type of person that's pretty been pretty much been level, level-headed as well as it is a conversation about understanding each other. And my thing is, that even though I may have a difference of opinion, I want to understand your perspective. And if I can understand that perspective, then we can have a conversation about that. And, and I've always been that type of person that people could talk to. So being in this situation, although I'm angry sometimes at that, but still I think it's very important that you have those conversations. You, you know, and it's easier with a person who's really, they have a good heart and they're really trying to understand and they are open.
0: Yes, I've discovered that if people are very well set in their ways, they are not open to listening. And full disclosure, Alicia and I go to the same church. I'm in the 0.2 (laughs) percent. Yes, you and Rand. (laughs) You think it's even that high? I'm not even sure we're 0.2 percent. But I I was given. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been going to the same church for eight years and have absolutely been loved and welcomed and treated very kindly and and here's another question i've got do we say black do we say african american
1: it depends on who you're talking to i to be kind of politically correct i would say african american but if we're down and we have this we're having this real conversation when we're talking about real racial conversa- race conversations right and people say black white
0: okay i think that's easier because for example, we have a fair amount of people in our congregation that are Afro-Caribbean. So it does not apply, but they're still thought of as in our society as black. Yes. So for, I think for the sake of ease, we're just, I'm just going to say black and you can say white. Does that? That works for me. That'll make it easier. I'm comfortable with that. So have you always been open to helping people? Is that your
1: nature? I'm always on the side of those who are taken advantage of, depending on whoever it is. Right. Yes. I've always been that way. I believe a helpful person, always kind of understanding, pretty patient. And like I said, just just open to listen, because with that, I don't necessarily take it personally unless you want to make it personal. I don't do that. Okay. And I think, and with that, that's helps to, helps in conversation. Did
0: you have white friends when you grew up?
1: Not when I grew up. I I went to a predominantly black elementary school, uh, high school. And uh, when I went to college, that's when I was in a situation that was uh, integrated, where actually I was really the minority in that situation. I remember- Texas, I would think so. (laughs) <laughs> then I was in Lubbock, Texas, so I, Whoa. I, I, was in, I remember my first, I was, I was in Texas, at Texas Tech, and, and they had this orientation, and we were in this auditorium, and all I can think of is like, what have I done? What have I done? I'm in this, I'm in this sea of white people. <laughs> what have I done? You know, coming from a predominantly uh, black experience. So, but it it worked out fine. In fact, one of my best friends, she's black that I met there and we had great experiences in that situations because uh, those that were in the rooms next to us, you know, they were white and some of them came, you know, they were from small, hick Texas towns. Right. So you had some that were open and some that were um, maybe hesitant, but I think the more that they learned about us, of course, they became more. Uh, comfortable.
0: What is the first overt act of racism you remember as a child?
1: Well, I I think um, with that, it was either the things that we had to do because we were Black. Say, for instance, when I think about it, one, my mother always said, we're going to go on vacation. And at that time, the only place that would accept uh, hotels that would accept Black people, I think it was the Howard Johnson. So we will always go to the Howard Johnson. We will always drive. We will always drive and we will always pack food. We pack food because you can't stop anywhere. And also, wow. um, yes, you pack food because you can't stop anywhere. You don't know. you're can- And this was
0: after. I mean, how how? what year was this roughly?
1: This is, in the, this is in the 70s.
0: Yeah. OK, so this is the 70s. This is after all this is supposed to be over in the South everything's supposed to be fine, Everything. but you still had one specific hotel that you could go to.
1: And then when we would go to that hotel, I recall it, 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 it almost became a joke. Um, we would go to the swimming pool because as children, that's the first thing you want to do is find the pool. Right. We would jump in the pool and everybody white would get out.
0: <gasps> Alicia, did you, as a kid, did that, did you register
1: that? Yes. You know, the thing is, is that when you know those things, it it becomes a way of life. They didn't say anything, say verbally to us or anything like that. Then if that was a situation, it would be different, but they would just smile and get out of
0: the pool. Okay. So it was normalized for you we have to drive we're not going to get on an airplane and go anywhere we're going to have to drive we have to stay at this specific hotel did your parents ever say this is why we're staying there because they not take- we,
1: when you're young you don't ask those questions when we right. got older we realized that how we really learned about race and white supremacy and racism is that what my mother did do because you know when you when, when you think about it as far as the generations are concerned. My grandmother picked cotton. My mother integrated the hospital. She was like the first black nurse. And then my brother and I, we're the next generation. So, you know, those type of things are are not that far away. So what she did, Mm -hmm. she said, my brother and I, we watched, um, I forgot, what's the name of that program with ML King, where they just show the whole civil rights movement she sat us in front of the TV and made us look at that. Did that change you? It informed me. It made me more aware. It just informed me because the beauty about my situation was that in growing up in the neighborhood that I grow, grew up in, it was pretty much, say, affluent for a Black mm-hmm. um, a black person in that because of the way things are, you know, Mena Jackson's. Kids went to our high school. Andrew Young lives around the corner. Abernathy lived down the street. So we were very, we were insulated, but it was a situation where you had an opportunity to feel good about who you were, as opposed to always having those, that kind of outside racism, you know, knocking you down. Until, of course, when we leave this and you go, college and after college. it really Actually, is after college and you are out in the world. It's out in the world for me that I really experienced it.
0: Wow. What a journey. And I'm already learning so much. Thanks to Alicia. We're going to continue this conversation in the next episode of Daring Parenting. And we're going to talk about the phrase Black Lives Matter and why it's so insulting when white people say all lives matter. So if you don't know the answer to that, Alicia is going to help us through that. And we're also going to talk about things like hair color and skin color and how they affect the way that people treat us and the decisions that black people have to make based on this. So thanks for listening today to Daring Parenting, and we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, give us a look. daringparenting.com.